Welcome in to episode 28 of the Connect Speakeasy podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, it's a little different this week for us, isn't it? Yeah, you're on the road again. So, uh, you know, we're uh, we're doing kind of a little road trip, just like the Canucks did. I'm down in sunny San Diego right now, but I have been watching the games. I have been following the team. And uh, let's just say it's been an emotional roller coaster so far being on the road. Yeah, it's been a tough uh, last three games, I would say, uh, especially the game tonight. Uh, third period meltdown against the Blue Jackets. Losing to the Leafs is never easy and losing to the Sens and barely getting past the Habs Uh, we're gonna unpack all this we're gonna get into a lot of hot topics you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks speak you can follow myself at Pete underscore gas Uh, give me a follow at Doug Venn and as always, we got our Spotify outro music playlist. Uh, jump on Spotify, go to our Canucks Speakeasy profile, and uh, check out some of the tunes we're building on our ever-growing playlist. Well, let's just get right into this. We are recording this right after the Blue Jackets game. So, I mean, I guess that's as good a place to start as any. But, I mean, they played for the most part. They played a good game and just found a way to utterly collapse. And I don't want to blame everything on the refs but the refs again with their subjective officiating come in and become a factor of this game i thought but doug what did you think of this game uh, i mean i honestly i i almost tweeted it out there during the game that i thought for the first 40 minutes at least it was a total team effort even with uh, miller and pd both having three point nights i thought up and down the lineup the canucks looked good i thought they were getting a solid effort from all four lines uh, Louis Deming looked good in the net. He made a couple of uh, pretty big saves, I thought. And then obviously the third period happened and the Canucks lost a little bit of their momentum. And then they took back-to-back penalties, which obviously carried Columbus over the finish line. This game took such, it was just such a turn. I mean, it looked like everything was going to go Vancouver's way here. It looks like they're going to salvage the road trip, come out of it 500. I mean, if this last eight minutes hadn't collapsed, I think everyone would feel a lot different about this road trip and where the team is right now. Yeah, I mean, I think finishing the road trip 500 isn't ideal, but I think most fans would have been pretty happy with that. Um, but now we go one and three on this mini four-game road trip. And you said it, you know, we barely squeaked a victory out against Montreal. We were down and uh, we scored a, uh, a late or halfway through the third period goal against uh, the Canadians to eke out the victory there. And honestly, the last four games, I don't think the Canucks have looked good. And it's not just the goaltending, which I think a lot of people are pointing to. Well, let's start with the goaltending, though, because the goaltending is the hot topic. Markstrom, as I've been saying all year, is our team MVP. And last year, too, really, we're, we're two full seasons of as much talent as we have on this team, Markstrom being the MVP. So you take him out of the equation right now, you get the young Thatcher Demko, who's played less than 35 games. You have Louis Domingue, and I was calling him Domingue last game, last episode, sorry, but that was, I swear, what he was called when he was with the Coyotes, but uh, it seems like it's Domingue right now. It's like the Peterson-Pedersen thing all over again. Um, But you take out Marky now, and it feels like it's just one or two goals more a game, and that's really the difference with the team. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, it was kind of, it's been... Domingue's only played the one game, right? But if you look at Demko's last few games, 
uh, and then Deming tonight. They're almost polar opposites where Demko's letting in early goals that he should probably be saving and then Deming tonight's letting in those late goals that he should probably be saving. There was at least one of the two goal or pardon me one of the three goals Columbus scored in the third that I thought Deming should have had um yeah I mean it's tough I mean Demko I thought one thing I did actually really like what Travis Green did last night in the Toronto game is you could see Demko looked over at the bench after he gave up that second goal to Austin Matthews which wasn't was a great shot but you still shouldn't that shouldn't find its way past you as a an NHL goaltender like he was expecting Green to pull him out, and he didn't. Green left him in, and I actually thought that gave Demko a little bit of confidence, and Demko looked much sharper as the game progressed. Again, we gave up that early goal, just like we did against Ottawa in the third, which kind of you know was a backbreaker for the Canucks. But overall, uh, I think the goaltending can be sharper, but I don't think the sky is falling. What do you think right now is the, the future with Canucks goaltending? Is this driving up Markey's value by him not even playing, do you think? Or do we just have to kind of calm down and realize that Demko has really not played a lot of NHL games yet? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that question's twofold. I think it depends how Markstrom's agent and Markstrom go into free agent this summer. If they try to use this against the Canucks, and again, it, I guess it depends on what the Canucks' initial offer is, right? If the Canucks are trying to, you know, lowball Markstrom, they could come back and really, you know, try to up the price and up the term on a potential deal with the Canucks. Um, but I like to think that the relationship between Vancouver Canucks and Markstrom hasn't soured to the point where they're going to really go tit for tat uh, on a potential uh, long-term extension. I do think, uh, I forget who it was, someone tweeted out, uh, and it was a great tweet actually, um, how Josh Levo has played more games this year than Thatcher Demko has in his entire career. Just think about that for a second. You know, and I think Demko, he's struggling a little bit early in games, but, you know, as the game progresses, he he does make big saves and he is looking good. And we saw this with Markstrom about two, three years ago. He was that guy who was letting in those early goals in games that was kind of, you know, backbreaking for the Canucks. And as of now, I do think Demko has got to be better. He does, but, I, you know, I don't think it's the end of the world and we should be chasing Demko out of town and, you know, he's a bust or anything like that. I don't think it's the end of the world. I think Demko's all, yeah, he's played okay. Um, I, I don't think his stats are incredible this year. They certainly don't jump out off the pages at you. I'm looking, you know, he's got a, a 330, 326 goals against average at the moment. Uh, that's, that's not stellar. A 903 save percentage. I mean, that's being above the 900 mark used to be the standard in the NHL, but it's moved up more towards 910, I would say. Um, I just think that, what with what Markstrom has done is he's shown that the Canucks by by allowing that one to two more goals a game they're maybe not as good as I think a lot of people thought. I think the Canucks are a good team, and, but I've said all year that they've they've got defensive issues, and it doesn't just rely on the defensemen in this regards. It's the whole team, and I've been saying the way they break out the puck. The way they exit the zone, it's not good enough. And the blue line, especially down low, where they really are having issues is in their low coverage. They And we saw it again tonight against Columbus. 
they don't protect well, they collapse, they collapse, and they give too many lanes. And so when you're doing that and when you're not breaking the puck out, it's it's going to be very hard to be successful. What Marky was doing is providing this rock back there that would bail them out a lot of the time and was able to basically steal games for the Canucks. And I think this is where now you're really seeing that effect is you don't have that rock back there and you allow, allow a little bit more. And again, Demko's being fine for stretches. Domingue was fine for stretches. But if you aren't getting the full 60 out of the goalie, uh, it's hard to bail out this team. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the Canucks definitely have a lot of flaws, especially in their own zone, trying to get the puck. Uh, the amount of times you in a game, you know, you see a Canuck player that has the puck and he goes to clear it and it doesn't get it out or he coughs it back up to the opposing team. It just, I swear it happens, you know, four or five times a game and probably 75% of the time it leads to a goal. Um, so that's always really frustrating. I do think that the Canucks have also I, th- I think some guys are hurt I, I i mean obviously pd had a big game tonight but i i do think you know pd hasn't looked the same since he took that hit from grizzlick um horvat ducked back into the uh dressing room at some point in the third period there and was getting medical attention obviously he came back and finished the game which was a great sign uh and the other thing that kind of blew my mind uh jpat put out there was that Quinn Hughes didn't have a shift after the 10 minute mark in the third period. And that's, it was that during that time is when Columbus came back and stormed back and uh, eventually tied the game and took the lead. So interesting with that, whether or not he was hurt or something that Green didn't like in his game tonight and he stapled him to the bench for uh, half the third period. I thought that was a little strange myself. And then a guy like Zach McEwen, I know he got into a fight tonight, but you know he ends the game with less than ten minutes in the game, ten minutes of ice time. It's just frustrating. Well, Hughes did take that big hit in the game, and he did look hurt. I think it was, uh, geez, I want to say it was Jenner, but I could be wrong. But he went back to the bench, and so I'm down here in in San Diego. I'm watching the Columbus feed, and I'm not sure if uh, they were talking about it on the Vancouver feed as much, but. They were talking about that hit on Hughes and how he was hurting when he went back. And Tanner Pearson, as well, in this game, he took a shot off the finger, and you know he was he was in some pain too. And I know the team is beat up, uh, but it's uh, it's geez, man, it's it, it's certainly causing some problems right now with all these mounting injuries and and the slow starts and the inconsistencies. And the other thing that's kind of driving me crazy with uh, with the way that they're breaking out and the is these drop passes in the neutral zone and they're still doing it. I, I just, man, I don't get it. Like where, where is this speed that we keep talking about? Where is this in the neutral zone? I hate it. They did it again multiple times tonight. Yeah. I, I don't understand why they keep doing it. No, man, I, I, I don't either. It's uh it's, it's very frustrating. Um, there are some positives we can talk about. I mean, JT Miller is, is really trying single handedly to, carry this team and he may be out of our forward core out of our top six forward core except for maybe Toffoli he may be the only guy who's actually healthy right now yeah I agree uh and Miller has blocked some pretty big shots throughout the course of the year but the effort is there every night with Miller I I think maybe one game or two games all year where I haven't noticed Miller making uh a good impact on the game uh the other thing too and injuries happen to every team, so I'm not going to sit here and start crying, you know, oh, woe is us. But I do think you're starting to see the Canucks 
really miss Brock Besser. And we knew we were going to miss him going down the stretch anyways. And he wasn't having that tremendous, you know, goal scoring year, but he was still putting out points and he was still very productive. And I think right now we're really seeing the Canucks missing Besser and just his presence on the ice and, you know, teams having to defend his shot, regardless if he's, you know, looking to take a shot or not, just having him on the ice makes other teams aware that they need to cover that side of the ice. Yeah, it's, uh, it's true. I mean, he's definitely a big part of this team. And I, I think you take away that weapon and uh, you, you do notice that JT Miller is also our leading scorer in between episodes. He had six points over the four games with two goals and four assists. Uh, Columbus though, they've got an injury bin too. So, I mean, we can, we can say, Oh, injuries playing a part, but they don't have Cam Atkinson, Seth Jones, Brandon Dubinsky, Josh Anderson in the lineup for, for that game. And they still won. So injuries are a constant and they're not an excuse. Um, I did mention earlier the, the refereeing, um, and this is something that, uh, I've, there's been a few of us on Twitter have had some banters about, but it's just so subjective. And, there, there's been a lot of stuff going on throughout the game. The refs have put the whistles away. And then once Columbus gets to within a goal, there comes the first Canuck penalty. And then there's the second one. And, and the second one, uh, that one was a penalty, and it should be a penalty in any point in the game. The first one, though, we'd seen that throughout the game already. But because Columbus had gotten within one, that's when the refs decide to call a penalty. And this is the thing that drives me nuts. If that's a penalty, fine, I'm okay with that. But call it throughout the game. Call the game the same throughout. It's so hard to actually tell this year more than any other year what a penalty is. And I'm not saying that the refs shouldn't have called either of those penalties, but I just want more consistency. Uh, it's it's just absolutely infuriating that the the refs figure, oh, it's a closer game now. We got to make sure that Columbus gets a power play to, to see if they can tie this up because it was a little bit soft on the first one. The second one, like I said, that was a penalty uh, at any point in the game. But it, it's just, it, that's also just incredibly infuriating for me. No, I, I agree. I think it's interesting because as we're getting closer and closer to the playoffs, you know, and you're right, the officiating all year has been very inconsistent, I find. But as we're getting closer and closer to the playoffs, usually once the playoffs start, you see more and more things not get called. And I think that's kind of what's happening now. I think that the refs are slowly kind of getting into that playoff mode of, you know, letting things go and, you know, normal hooks, grab slashes that should be penalties aren't getting called. I don't agree with it. I think it's stupid. You and I have talked about this in the past, that a penalty should be a penalty. doesn't matter what point in the game it is, what time of the year it is, playoffs, regular season, a penalty is a penalty. But things do get on go, you know, uncalled come playoff time. And I do find it interesting. And again, maybe I'm just looking at it with rose-colored glasses because I'm a Canucks fan, and I do feel like we haven't been getting uh, penalty calls when we should be. Um, but I do think that you know the progressively the refereeing is getting worse and worse as the season's gone on yeah I, I don't i don't disagree with that at all i think it's been bad all year but it just maybe it's just compounding and it's uh it's just making it even tougher so one thing with the canucks is that we've talked about goalie injuries we've talked about forward injuries but the d has been rather healthy this year and don't want to jinx it because we can't really afford a defensive injury but what do you think right now? You have Fantenberg and Ben rotating in, rotating in as a seven, or sorry, as a six. Um, 
what do you what do you think of that right now? Who's the better fit right now in the lineup? I mean, I think if I'm the Canucks and I'm Travis Green, I'm putting Ben back in. And it, I don't think Vandenberg's been noticeably bad, but he does have problems getting out of his own end, I find. And I think he has problems making that first pass out of his own end. He is a big body, and I do like the fact that he can be kind of physical. Uh, tonight, he actually had a really nice hit. But I do worry uh, about you know his lack of making that first pass. And obviously, possession is so key when it comes to hockey and winning games. And I think that the Canucks right now need someone who can make a better first pass out of their own end and isn't going to uh, cough the puck up. What about Tyler Myers? I, like, I, I find Tyler Myers is, is kind of exactly what we expected to get from him. He's wildly inconsistent. Um, he's had some games. I thought tonight he was actually okay. Uh, and he's had other games where you just kind of wonder what the heck he's doing. But he's he's an improvement for what we've had the past couple of years but what do you think of his play overall the last couple of weeks yeah, i mean yeah he could tyler myers play a little bit better in his own end absolutely you know sometimes i see guys skate past him and i i'm always kind of wondering you know why isn't he using his physical frame more to kind of cut the angle off and push him into the boards maybe he's scared to take a penalty i'm, I'm not quite sure um, I don't, I, you hit the nail on the head. Like, I think every, you can't say Tyler Myers has been worse than what he's, what everyone expected him to be. And I don't think he's been better than what anyone expected him to be. He's literally been exactly who he thought he was going to be heading into this year. Have we overpaid to get him? Perhaps, but I don't think he's necessarily the reason why the Canucks have been so bad in their own end. He's not helping. But I, I, th I think a lot of it honestly has to come. It comes down to defensive structure. And I believe when we had Jabbo on the podcast a few weeks back or probably over a month ago now, we were talking about how Elaine Vigneault, the first couple of years with that last core, the Sedins, Kessler, Burroughs, you know, they wanted to be a run and gun offensive team. And for the first year or two, Vigneault, you know, reeled them in and made them play a better, smarter defensive game. And Green really hasn't done that. He still wants to play that run-and-gun offensive style. And again, I, I get it. you got guys like Hughes on the team and guys like Petey on the team. And Petey is great defensively, so I, you know, I'm not worried about Petey's defensive uh, effort or lack thereof. Uh, he made a great defensive play again tonight as well on the back check. But I do think maybe changing the structure of how this team plays and trying to be a little bit more defensive-minded overall as opposed to okay we got a two goal lead heading into third let's shut it down and only have one four checker because that is like the prevent defense in football you're always going to lose you're preventing yourself from winning um so i would like to see them maybe just structured to be a little bit more sound defensively moving forward the whole myers fantenberg pairing i don't think has been fantastic uh you talk about defense that's exactly what jordy ben is he's a defensive stay-at-home defenseman veteran presence i would really like to see him into the lineup more uh I, i'm not sure necessarily even if you say hey fantenberg you go back out maybe you got to shuffle this up a bit more maybe you gotta I, I don't think you can sit tyler myers because i think that would just cause all sorts of issues among the fan base um but i, I don't know I, I mean i think stetcher has played better so maybe right now that that's not the time to to shuffle out anyone else but i think ben in for fantenberg is uh is a must as well for the next game but this is what it kind of meant as well about maybe adding a veteran d-man and not going 
all in. I, I've loved what Tyler Toffoli's brought, though. So, uh, you know, they've proved me wrong already. But adding a veteran D is if something happens to this core, are you comfortable with having to dress Jordy Ben and Oscar Fandenberg at the same time? I mean, they've both been fine, but all of a sudden, that's your 5-6. Is that going to get it done? And now you're an injury away again from having to put in a guy from the Comets. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a good point. Uh, I'm... I'm not really happy with the defense, the six defensemen we're dressing now for the most part. Um, and yeah, if you've got Fantenberg and Ben in your top six, I guess, you know, you're, you're going to be a little bit worried about being able to shut down teams, you know, come third period and stuff like that. It'll be interesting though. Uh, Brogan Rafferty is a player that I know a lot of Canucks fans have been hyping up and rightfully so. But he's slowed down quite a bit in Utica lately. And, uh, you know, his point totals aren't as astronomical as they were, let's say, a month ago. I think right now it's just growing pains. Yeah, I don't think Rafferty would be the guy who'd get the call anyways. I think you'd be looking at a guy like a, a Breezebois or a Chatfield or a Sautner. I think uh, Rafferty and Yulevi are more than likely going to just keep getting big ice time and playing with the Comets as they get ready for the playoffs here, but you had, you do have right now only four pro defensemen signed for next year with uh, Tanev and Fantenberg, both being UFA with Stetcher being RFA. And that begs a lot of questions is, are you going to be able to, with your, your cap getting pretty tight for next year? Um, and I know that if you were to maybe qualify Stetcher and trade him and then not go after Tanev, that would probably give you about 7 million right there to, to work with. But are you going to improve the blue line with that $7 million? It's uh, Is there enough stuff out there? Teams are retaining defensemen more and more through their golden years to, to try and shore up their own ends. And I do think the Canucks need to probably bring up a rookie next year and start using some of that entry-level contracts on the, on the back end. But I, I just don't know. Like there, there's, there are some question marks with this blue line moving forward i feel yeah i mean i i would assume they're banking on at least one of you levy rafferty or triampkin making the squad next year uh triampkin obviously has the most experience in the nhl i think he played what was it 40 games that year he was here um so i i think that's what they're banking on whether or not they sign stetcher to um his qualifying offer uh they let tanev walk which I think right now, I, I don't see anybody in the system that can do what Tanev does for this team. And defensive awareness is probably this team's biggest liability, especially on the back end. So there might be a lot of pressure for management to try to re-sign Tanev, but I could see them easily getting priced out. I could see teams, Tanev's a right-hand defenseman who his biggest flaw and his biggest knock his entire career has been his ability to stay healthy and pl give you all 82 games. Well... You knocked on wood earlier, Pete, and, you know, I'll do it again. Uh, as of right now, Tanev's training to play all 82 games for the first time in his career this year. And I think there will be a lot of teams that could use a player just like Tanev, the Toronto Maple Leafs being probably the top ones in the in the league, whether or not they would have the money to sign him. To, uh, but, yeah, almost 31 teams, 31 other teams in the league could use a player like Tanev, especially right-hand defensemen. So it's going to be interesting interesting to see whether or not the Canucks think they have anything in the system that can sort of replace what Tanev's doing. I don't think they do. So out of all the defensemen in the league that are UFA or RFA this coming season, uh, 32 of them make 
2 million or more. So that already shows you right there. That's at least one guy per team who's a free agent who's already into that 2 million price range. And that's a right. Troy Stetcher is of course included in that at at a 2.3. So there's going to be a lot of guys out there, but you you are going to have to spend and there could be just a great shuffle. Maybe some guys values will, will drop. I don't think all these guys are going to get what they're getting this year, but I don't know, like maybe it's, it's, time to look at what what you're doing on the blue line again and keep adjusting and tweaking it is going to be hard to keep Tanev I like Tanev uh, he's been one of, one of the rocks back there uh, and I think he's played fantastic this year this might be one of his best years as a pro Nikita Trampkin I mean we've seen him for one in a in a flash seasons in Vancouver uh, he's 25 now he's been playing in the K can he make a difference? He's currently listed at 265 pounds. Is that a mobile defenseman in the NHL now? Wow, he's he's ballooned up to 265. That's like Dustin Bufflin weight. I know, that's the thing. Now, Bufflin was effective, and he could skate like that. And Trampkin has had some ups and downs in the K. But will that translate over to the NHL right now? Or is he just going to get skated around and be another pylon out there? I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know what the answer is on the blue line right now. Um, I do feel that on paper it's the best that we've had in quite a few years. I mean, Quentin Hughes alone makes it one of the best blue lines we've ever had. And, of course, with Alex Edler being the greatest Canucks defenseman of all time, you, you have those guys there. It looks good. But there's just something with – the system and with the team. And so that brings me on to Travis green here. And there, there's a lot of kind of questionable things that green has done. I think he's done a lot of things well, but the continued use of Louis Erickson on line two, uh, the not playing Zach McEwen, who I think has been fantastic when he's played um, Jordy Ben kind of getting pushed out where I think he should be getting more time in the lineup. There are questionable decisions out there. Um, is Travis Green to blame, or what do you think right now of, of Green's status with the Canucks going into the off season? I guess I should, I should, I should, I should rephrase that question. That's a, that's a, that's because it is kind of loaded. But if the Canucks were to fall out of a playoff spot, is it Travis Green's fault? I mean, well, here's the thing. I think if the Canucks don't make the playoffs this year, there's a lot of really good established Stanley Cup winning head coaches available. Um, There's a report this week that the Seattle ownership is actually going to give Ron Francis the green light to go ahead and hire a coach this summer, a year, a full year ahead of the team, you know, essentially needing to hire a head coach. So that's interesting. And that's got to be, that's got to be the best job in hockey. Yeah. You get, you get paid for an entire year to, you know, obviously, have meetings with Ron Francis and discuss potential roster construction as opposed to worrying about getting fired because you're on a eight game losing streak. Um, so I do think that green, I, I don't think green necessarily should be fired, but because there is so many good coaching candidates out there at the moment, I do think a team like the Canucks that, you know, are all in to try to make the playoffs this year if they don't make the playoffs, I wouldn't be surprised if ownership decided to go ahead and hire a big name coach. I do think Aquilini does like big name recognition. So a guy like a Peter Laviolette or God forbid, a Mike Babcock uh, or Gerard Gallant, who's another guy I really like actually. And I think he kind of got a bit of a bad rap. I mean, I still can't believe Vegas fired him. I'm still shocked about that. 
Um, but there's some really yeah, good too. Yeah, there's some really good coaches out there. Green's decisions, yeah, they 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 are a little strange at times. I I will defend him that I think the reason he wants Louis on the second line is because he wants to match Bo's line up against the opponent's top line. And Louis is a good defensive forward. Vertanen is not good defensively. Uh, Besser, when he was healthy, wasn't good defensively. I kind of hope that once Besser gets back, if he can get back before the playoffs start, that they just put Besser on the top line right away. I think it'll be good for Besser's confidence to start playing with Miller and Petey again because you want him to kind of you know pot some points and get some goals so he's playing with some confidence coming back off this injury. And you put Toffoli on that second line, and I think Toffoli, he's not a great defensive forward, but he's definitely better than a Vertanen or a Besser, plus he still has his offensive instincts. Yeah, I think every Canucks fan is is waiting for that and likes the look of that. I, I just hope we actually get to see it this year uh, at some point because, uh, geez, who knows right now what what could happen. Um, I, I mean, with Erickson though, like we, you you talk about the defensive presence out there. Like, why not even try Sutter out there? Sutter's playing wing a lot this season, and why not even put Sutter up there instead of Louis? I just I don't think Louis has done a lot. We had that little love affair with him back in December or January when. Things looked decent. That love affair has run out. Um, if you're playing the matchup game, then yeah, maybe Vertanen's not the the guy to to put on there. But it, it just feels like there's some questionable player usage and some questionable lineup decisions uh, at times. And I mean, I'm just armchair GMing it, but these are kind of some of the things that uh, I, I just uh, I, I scratch my head at is is some of the some of the player deployment going on out there as well as as that. Well, another player that I, if I'm Travis, I would at least consider stapling him to the bench for a game is Antoine Roussel. I, I really don't think Roussel has been that great the last few games. I understand he was coming off a pretty huge injury last year, didn't have his offseason training. You know, we're into March now for hockey games. He's probably starting to wear down a little bit because he didn't have that off season training, but Russell's a guy that I think is really struggling lately. And I think he's a guy that, you know, could maybe use a game or two on the bench to, or in the press box to hopefully, uh, you know, find that next gear when he gets back in the lineup. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that too. I mean, uh, with, with Beagle out when, when he comes back, Russell is certainly a guy I would look at too. Um, I really want to see McEwen stay. I think a lot of fans do. I think he's, played very well and he's literally fighting for his job uh Roussel it, it doesn't seem like he's the right fit on that line which is a shame I mean it, it really looks like hey Vertanen Godet Roussel there could be something there but Roussel just he really hasn't done a lot lately either I've, I've noticed that as well and um I, I don't think he's the right fit on that line I, I'm not sure if, if anyone is right now um but yeah, I, I, there's something just seems to be off with his game. I've, I've noticed that as well. Yeah, and it's a shame because I think, you know, he is a guy, if the Canucks are able to get into a playoff spot, he's a guy that you definitely want on your t- team heading into a playoff series. But right now he's struggling. And, you know, these are, you know, the the stretch games here. And these games are, you know, getting more and more intense because there's almost every team, because there's so much parity in the league this year, Every game you're playing against has strong playoff implications. So you're trying to, you know, get up for every game and have that intensity that you need for every single game. We saw that last year with the Blues. The Blues had put themselves in so much of a hole 
up until Christmas that after Christmas, every game was this intense, important game for them. So by the time the playoffs came, they were just, you know, firing on all cylinders. They were pretty lucky when it came to injuries. They were getting really good goaltending from Bennington. And obviously they went on that run and eventually won the Stanley Cup. And I think right now the Canucks are slowing down a bit. Injuries are, you know, nagging injuries that aren't, you know, big enough to keep guys out of the lineup are starting to pile up. And you're seeing guys, in my opinion, like Roussel, who I think are tired. And I think just putting him, you know, in the press box for a game or two, I think you might get a re-energized Roussel. Yeah, he's uh, he's pointless in six. He uh, hasn't scored a goal in the last nine as well and if you stretch it back even further uh it's it's a bit of a drought that he's in uh let me just quickly tally this up here but in the last 27 games Roussel has two goals and three assists and he's only got one goal since a game January 4th against the Rangers which is a stretch of geez let me uh, just give me a sec here I mean, yeah, that's not good enough, right? Like, it's not good enough to have five points in your last 27 games. Yeah, one goal in his last 22. So it's, uh, it's, he's, it's, it, it, for a third line winger, you need more than that, definitely. Um, but yeah, no, pointless in six. He didn't get a point in the Boston game and, uh, goalless since, uh, the Minnesota game back at the, in early February. I, I think need more and I would be fine with sitting him for a game as well. Yeah, I, I think the Canucks, I think they just need a shake-up, right? And sometimes when you sit a guy, not that Russell's a star player, but, you know, the team just kind of needs a shake-up. It's just like sometimes when a coach pulls their starting goalie early, you always see how the team responds, you know, after their goalie's been pulled for the backup, and then all of a sudden, you know, now they're back in the game and they've tied the game up or something like that. Right now, I think... The Canucks seem a little tired. They seem a little bit banged up. I think coming home after this road trip, hopefully they can refresh, hit the restart button, and just focus on the next games in hand. I believe the next game is against Arizona, I believe, which is Wednesday. And then they got Colorado, which will be a big test next Friday. Well, let's let's hope that they can bounce back, get a couple of wins here. We need it. Uh, Again, Miller's played great. The team's had moments looking good. I thought they played really passionately tonight um they still found a way to to lose it and in the end um it's is this a tough stretch it's been a tough stretch for a while i I think you're right a lot of guys are playing hurt um it's a long season and uh, let's just let's just hope that we can bounce back a bit here and and find a way to continue to hold on to a playoff spot and and get in there um, I wanted to switch it, though, uh, away from the Canucks and go to something a little bit lighter right now because we just had the 10-year anniversary of the Golden Goal in Vancouver just a couple of days ago. And I think it's definitely worth us mentioning and talking about memories from that day. So, Doug, where were you when the Golden Goal scored? Well, as you so graciously uh, put out on Twitter that uh, my birthday is actually February 27th. Um, so that night, uh, me and some friends were downtown and we were partying pretty hard. Uh, one of my friends had just got back from Mexico and he brought me back a little Mickey of Mezcal that actually had the worm in it. Um, so we were kind of sipping that. As we were walking around downtown, and that time, if anyone was in Vancouver, you got to remember, like, the streets were completely shut down. Uh, it was incredible. Um, 
it was such positive vibes all through the city. Everybody was just, you know, so pumped up with the Olympics as a whole, not just the men's hockey, but, you know, we essentially won the gold medal count. We had the most gold medals of any other country in the 2010 Olympics. Uh, so that was a very proud thing for a small country like Canada, small population wise, for like Canada to achieve in our own backyard. Um, so that night got a little hairy, I will say. Uh, it was a little, uh, it was a little cloudy by the end of the night. And then I remember waking up in the morning because I had talked to you and, you know, you were saying, hey, like you got to come down to work at the bar at work. You know, if you're going to come down, you got to be there by at least 11 because it's going to be full. Um, and I remember getting a text from you and I was like just kind of crawling out of bed. And I thought to myself, I'm like, there's no fucking way I'm going to make it down there, man. Um, I was so hungover, so dehydrated. I didn't want to like try to figure out how to get downtown because again at that time everything was just totally packed full of people the streets and I didn't want to miss any of the games so I ended up going up to my buddy's place who lived a couple of blocks up from me and my roommate Rod at the time from Australia him and I went up there and we watched the golden goal and the game uh pretty much at 41st in Victoria <laughs> that's that's pretty good man <laughs> I like that um I'm going to tell you where, where I was just because uh, it was it was awesome. And I got lost in a YouTube spiral the other day of celebration videos as well, which I do every year on the anniversary of the Golden Goal because uh, I can actually get spotted in a couple of them. But I was downtown at our work uh, on Granville Street. Uh, and I remember I had some friends in town from Victoria, and we went out for breakfast somewhere on Davie, I think probably Joe's or something. And there were already lineups at the bars and anything that had a TV. And we're like, well, that's, geez, this is going to be tight. I'm like, oh, we, we should be able to get into my work, no problem. And we had our breakfast and keep walking down Davy. And so the lineups are just crazy. And this is, and yeah, it was an early game. This is, you know, nine in the morning, eight in the morning. People are lining up already. It's like, oh, geez, get to my work. And sure enough, the lineup is out the door and a good probably 50, 70 meters down the road i'm like oh all right well so it kind of went in had to swing a few things uh i'm pretty sure if i remember i snuck a couple people in the back way uh as well because we had a few regulars and staff who need to get in but was able to weasel ourselves in there packed bar uh it was just crazy the atmosphere was intense when uh, the game got tied late i mean you could you could hear a pin drop in there everyone was just collectively holding their breath and then that euphoric rise when when the goal went in, uh, the room just exploded. There were hockey sticks and beer and people jumping, falling all over the place. And then going out onto Granville Street, I remember as well, we had a, a wall of cops on Granville Street right in front of, of the business. And uh, when it happened, they were they were all high-fiving people as they're going by. And the cops were taking turns in overtime, coming in and watching the game as well. Uh, we were letting them in to to the foyer there to watch and they were rotating in and out just everyone was invested in it and then trying to get for down to robson street afterwards you just couldn't do it there were too many people it was just this wall of humanity um but just the whole vibe and, and just the whole vibe of that olympics i think uh, at the time you're like this is really cool and you know it's cool but once it's gone like it was that was it that was the end of it after that it was gone uh, the olympics were over and you're just like wow did that really happen it was uh just an amazing experience. Uh, I wish it could happen again. Yeah, I agree. It was a it was a magical time uh, living in Vancouver and being in Vancouver. I uh, 
I still I still remember just how amazing it was and it was just everyone was so positive and so friendly and you know the streets were again just jam-packed full of people and everyone it was just a big party but it was not like a messy party or you know an aggressive vibe it was just it was I, I don't I don't know if we would get that nowadays you know what I mean and again you know I'm not trying to sound like some old head it was only 10 years ago but I don't know. It was just it was it, it was just a very welcoming, cool vibe, and yeah, man, it was it was a special time, and I'm so glad I was living in Vancouver to experience it. Well, let's get into our chirping segment here, um, I, and and it's again we're trying not to we'll try not to pick things too negative here, but it's it's kind of tough right now. Um, so I'm gonna lay one on you here just to get things going. Uh, this is from Charlie Conway, and you can follow him at C Conway ninety six. He says they played 53 minutes the right way, got sloppy at the end, and it cost them. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree. I, I would say they probably played 50 minutes the right way. Uh, they were You could see the tide was slowly starting to turn uh, for the Canucks halfway through that third period. Um, but yeah, like I said earlier in the episode, I thought, you know, after the first two periods, I thought it was a total team effort by the Canucks. And they looked really good, and they looked like they were well on their way to solidifying the two points. Um, all right, my first chirpin is from Matthew Zader. You can give him a follow at Matthew Zader SC. And he says, I've always had respect for guys like Beagle. You need players like him if you want to have success in the playoffs. People who can't see this don't understand hockey. Hashtag Canucks. Yeah, I've always liked Beagle. The reason Canucks fans have an issue with him is... They feel that we've overpaid and possibly overturned the guy. But you take that away. Beagle's the type of guy that every team wants. He's your prototypical fourth liner. He's got a Stanley Cup. He's extremely well-liked in the room. He's good with the community. He's good with the team. There's nothing to not like about the guy. And again, if we get into the playoffs, he's a guy that this fan base is going to really appreciate. He's a great face-off guy as well. Um, And again, you need these veteran guys to work with a young core uh, I really like Jay Beagle. Um, I think he, like for all those reasons, I think he's a good addition to the team. Um, it's only the term and the contract hit annually that fans really have an issue with. And if you take that away, he's uh, he's a perfect fourth line center for any team. My second one for you, uh, it's from Samantha. You can follow her at Samantha CP underscore. She says, panic is unnecessary unless you were absolutely blind to their realistic shortcomings. They're fine. They're just inconsistent, like, say, a young team on the bubble, which is what they are. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think the Canucks are, their window is just opening with this young core. Quinn Hughes is still a rookie. Elias Pettersson is still in his sophomore season. It's not like, you know, we have this window and it's only open for the next year or two and we have to, you know, make a run to in the playoffs now. Uh, they are inconsistent and they haven't had to play meaningful games down the stretch the last couple of years. And this year they are. And I think that's why we're starting to see a little bit of that inconsistency. And hopefully they can kind of, you know, solidify some of their defensive play in their own end and start getting uh, some wins here. All right, uh, my second chirp of the day is from Mr. Booth. Give him a follow at Mr. Booth underscore seven. I don't think it's ever been a matter of he's not worth a first rounder as a player, but more so is this the right stage of the rebuild to trade away a first rounder? 
For the time being, that question has been silenced with his with Miller's exceeding expectations. So hats off to him. Yeah, two very good points there. Um, I know a lot of people felt that at the time, and I know you're uh, you've been saying this a lot, is that the Canucks overpaid to get J.T. Miller. I mean, a first round pick in this year's draft is is a hefty price. J.T. Miller has been fantastic and is worth that first round pick. But it does beg the question, where do where does management and where is this team actually right now? And are they in a position to, to do a move like that? I, I do think that you can't keep losing with a, a young core. I think that's something that needs to be remembered, is that you can't just have these guys come into the league and lose constantly. And I think that's kind of the intangible with this is that they needed to take some steps to at least get them closer to the eight spot than to the 15 spot. And if you're going in with a, to a draft lottery, at least you, you're going in with a 1% chance as opposed to a 20% chance of getting the first overall pick, you know, kind of moving yourself up and getting out of this losing culture. So I think there is a lot to be said for that. I think the Canucks felt that they had a good prospect cupboard. They had some young guys in there on entry levels. They could go out there and get a guy that they really liked. So I think that's kind of my defense with it is I, I don't disagree completely with what you're saying about having, is, is this the right time to do it? I just think it's more of them trying to get away from a losing culture and having these guys grow up in it. And a guy like JT Miller and again, I always say the Vertanen effect and what he's done with him. And I think I think that's a big part of why they pulled off this move. Yeah, I mean, the Oilers are the perfect example of a young core that lo- kept losing and losing and losing. And now they're on their second young core. Yeah, and they've lost a lot of those players. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, but there are certainly question marks with it. Fortunately for us, JT Miller is crushing all those doubts with just, just how well he's been playing. Uh, should we get into the free pour here? Uh, yeah, let's get into the free pour. Welcome to free pour open floor. And yeah, I'm just going to jump into it. And I'm totally going sidetrack here. Uh, this is totally off topic as my dog's having puppy dreams next to me. So if you hear some weird barking, uh, that's just, you can. Yeah, that's my dog and her puppy dreams. Um, but I'm going to talk about, I watched last night because it was on TV and I absolutely love the movie, and I love this guy. I just want to say how much I miss John Candy. Uh, Uncle Buck was on last night, and man, I love that movie. I I love John Candy. Trains, planes, automobiles, Canadian icon, comedic genius, part owner, along with Wayne Gretzky of the Toronto Argos CFL team in the 90s. Uh, And just, you know, what a comic genius John Candy was and he's just one of those guys like as soon as I see him a huge smile comes on my face uh he's yeah I don't know man I really miss John Candy I know there's a generation in between when Candy was around that you know jumped on the Chris Farley bandwagon and Farley was great too but I'm a John Candy guy you know if I had a thousand guesses for what you're going to talk about in the free pour I don't think I would have said John Candy but yeah he's awesome another one I loved him in Home Alone Home Alone, absolutely. Macaulay Culkin was also in Uncle Buck, so they, they were actually in a couple movies together. There we go. That's 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 awesome. I like that. Nice one. Um, because I'm in San Diego, I wanted to just kind of quickly talk about the history of hockey in San Diego because there's kind of a couple of neat little things that I dug up with this. So 
you're going to get your San Diego hockey fix right now. I think most people know about the San Diego Gulls, uh, who are the affiliate of the Anaheim Ducks. But this is actually the fifth version of the San Diego Gulls. And the Gulls have played in five different leagues. And it's not the same team, but the name just keeps coming back. So the Gulls have played in the WHL, the IHL, if you remember that for a while, the WCHL, the ECHL, and they're now in the AHL. That's the fifth version of the Gulls. Um, Willie O'Ree, we're just coming out of Black History Month, and uh, I think this uh, this is obviously the, the most influential and the first black hockey player to ever play. He played seven seasons down here in San Diego with the Gulls. So that's, that's another pretty cool thing. There are only four players ever born in San Diego to be drafted. And the funny thing out of that is only two of those four have actually made it to the NHL. And the funny thing about that is that both those two players are currently playing in the NHL. And one of them is our boy, Thatcher Demko. And he, the other guy is Chad Root. I, I, don't, I still don't know. This is like Tyler Graubach all over again. I don't know how to say his name. Chad Ruidal, the defenseman for the Penguins. He's played 41 games this year. He's got six points. But I thought that was kind of another neat tie-in right there uh, that with the with the Canucks. But, yeah, the only two San Diego-born players to ever play in the NHL. I think this is a, a remnant of the Gretzky effect as well. Um, I drove by today twice where the Gulls play. It's an uh, inspiring-looking building in a, in a giant parking lot, which is just what Qualcomm was when the Chargers were here too, is an unassuming stadium in a giant parking lot. Um, but anyway, San Diego, they, they don't have a, a, a very well-known hockey history, but there is a hockey culture here. You do see the Gulls name around town. Uh, and again, for the Gulls, like, that's impressive to be at that name coming back in five different leagues and well-respected leagues, too. I love that the IHL is in there. Uh, being from Victoria, we almost got the San Francisco Spiders uh, way back in the early 90s. And anyone who's in Victoria and remembers going into the trade mall, you can see that Spiders jersey up there. But anyways, San Diego, Willie O'Ree, Thatcher Demko, the Gulls, there you go. Thanks for tuning in to episode 28, everybody. Uh, I hope we weren't too hard on the boys. Uh, we're, we're fans, too. We love these guys. It's, a, it's the emotional roller coaster that every Canucks fan knows all too well. And speaking of emotional roller coasters, uh, congrats to Corey Schneider posting his first shutout Sunday night, uh, which is when we're recording it. So tonight in over a year, uh, that's nice to see with everything that he's gone through, former Canuck. Uh, so congrats to Corey Schneider. Yeah, and uh, it's a bit shorter of an ep- uh, episode this week. Uh, we didn't have a guest on um, as Pete's on the road. Um, but, you know, we have some guests lined up for the next uh, month or so. Uh, Pete's in charge of uh, booking talent. So uh, I believe you mentioned it last episode, Pete. But anyone interested in coming on the podcast, uh, shoot us a DM. And, uh, yeah, we'll try to get you scheduled on there. Uh, and speaking of which, you should give the Canucks podcast the Canucks Speakeasy podcast a follow on Twitter at Canucks Speak give me a follow at Doug Venn and yeah there is a lot of Canucks talent out there uh, and we love getting the fans on so guys give us a message guys and gals where we want to we want to hear what you got to say it's it's great to get people on and just chat Canucks and you can also shoot me a message because 
I guess I am the talent booker around here, uh, but I still schedule myself on this podcast regardless. I'm at Pete underscore guess. And we also have the Spotify playlist out there. Check that out. The Canucks Be- Speak the Canucks Speak Easy outro playlist. All sorts of funky jams like this one going on over there. Episode 28. That's a wrap. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. And hasta luego. <laughs>